Hello and welcome back to Naturally Adventurous with Ken and Charlie. Today we're going to chat about a place that Ken has been to and I have not. I know next to nothing about it. So I'm going to ask him a few questions and find out about it. I'm actually quite interested to see. It looks like there's some sweet birds there and some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, today we're going to chat about Oman. Oh man. Oh man. So I don't even know why you went there. Did it Was it just a... Extended layover or what? How did you end up in Oman? It was just a place I really wanted to go. I'd heard a lot about it. And uh, it was something I could do in a relatively short amount of time. So, I mean, first thing I'll say, I'm no expert on Oman. You know, some of the places we've talked about, (laughs) we know really well. Yep. (laughs) Places we've lived in or traveled in over and over again. That is not the case with Oman. I went there once for a couple of weeks, so I'm not speaking from some kind of deep expertise. I'm just talking from like the perspective of somebody who wandered around the country for a couple of weeks. Did you? Was it on the end of a tour? I mean, you didn't fly all the way from Madagascar, especially. Was it? Uh, I think so. I can't, I can't remember exactly how right. I did it. Um, routed through Dubai, which uh, created quite a few issues. When I went to Israel this year. Oh, right, of course, yeah. One of those red flag places I'd been. So Uh, did you do... What what was... What were your kind of things that you most wanted to see when you you were going there? Or, like, what had you heard about it? I guess I'd heard from our friend Lyle Mm. Gwynn, who we interviewed a time or two. He's been on... He's been on one, I think, so far. We want to get him on again. I'd heard it was just a, a, a really cool country. You could wander at will and camp just about anywhere. Huh. No real like entrance fees or... And I, yeah, I found that to be true. But so that was part of uh, what attracted me. It was just, I really like dry places. You know, mm. I've gone on about the Karoo quite a few times. Uh, I love the Southwest United States. My favorite birding in the States is probably Arizona, Southeast Arizona. Um, so I just like that kind of environment. So I went there not for some kind of great quantity of new birds or anything like that. It, I just thought the overall experience would be great, and it was. Uh, I loved it. Really, really loved it. So I, I structured my trip basically around habitats and associated birds. I've just always found that's a good way to to set up a trip. You just end up seeing more of a country than most tourists do. Sure. I almost wish I'd done a bit more cultural stuff. There is Oman is just in, this incredibly fascinating place, like culturally and historically. It's like once you get on the track of, of natural areas and birds, it's kind of hard to bring yourself to like drive into a city <laughs> and sure. find parking. And, you know, there's just often hassles in urban areas and stuff. So, yeah, it would have... I, I do plan to go back. If I do, I'll, I'll spend a bit more time in Muscat and other historical places. Did you like make reservations, or you just kind of rented a car? I, just I made zero reservations. Really? <laughs> uh, pretty much zero plans. I had some vague plans. I've mm. done a bit of research about you know what are the different zones and habitats, and got a little, you know read a few birding trip reports. But yeah, I just I just showed up, rented a car, and just 
drove into the first mountains I could see to camp for the night. <laughs> you took camping gear, took a tent and a sleeping bag and stuff? Yep, I took uh, camping gear. And I actually uh, supplemented the gear I brought by buying uh, like a, a mattress in the in a big grocery store. They have these big French grocery stores, really? Carrefour. Oh, they, and, you have Carrefour there? Yeah, really? strangely enough, they're gr fantastic grocery stores. Wow, at least in Oman, better than in France. They're just full of like Middle Eastern stuff and Indian stuff plus Western stuff. Like, wow, maybe the best grocery stores I've ever been in were, were those big uh, markets in, in Oman. Wow, amazing. I mean, just like all the best food in the world. Just like huge vats of olives, and then you can go around the corner and get cheese and like. It's all in Carrefour. It's all there. And how are the how are the prices? Was it expensive? Or? Remarkably reasonable. Really? Yeah, yeah. You, you kind of expect like foreign grocery store imported oh, stuff. Middle it's going to be I crazy was, expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's imported. Just, and... just shocked me. I mean, I I just I ate for two weeks for just like a couple hundred bucks, and I, I just ate incredibly good food. I bought this tub of dates. <laughs> I think it was five kilos, and I and I just I basically had that tub of dates like sitting on the seat next to me the whole time. And I, whenever I just got hungry driving down the road, I just start eating dates. It was just like, like this energy food. Wow. There was and there was a, quite a few left when I when I finished my trip, and I kind of like jammed them into a bag and put them in my baggage and brought them home and was eating them for a couple more more weeks when I got home. So what other kind of foods? Did you get, I mean, was it, was anything kind of traditional foods or was it all just kind of supermarket fair? Bulk? So I, I just subsisted on supermarket stuff. Um, I got really nice flatbreads, really good ah. olive oil, some nice yogurt and, and, uh, oats and, you know, just like field food. So it's like a cooler box or what? No cooler box. It's pretty cool. When I was there. Okay. I, I didn't. Me, yeah. I don't think I ate any meat the whole time. You know, I just basically a lot of olive oil and uh, yeah, just a lot of dates, a lot of olives. So you so you went shopping. You got your camping gear. You got your hire car. And you just you just head for the hills. Yeah, yeah. And were you? Uh, did you have any kind of interactions with people? Not a lot. Not a lot. I, um, but wow, I was just amazed by people don't hassle you, people don't shout at you, nobody comes and asks you what are you doing. I had a few interactions out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. I mean, I had a had a guy this was in the absolute middle of nowhere, like in the in a wadi right near the border with Yemen. So what's Yemen. a wadi? It's like a little oasis or what? No, no, yeah. wadi is like a a canyon, like a canyon. dry okay. or like an arroyo or yeah. It's like a, a usually dry canyon. And they usually have like a lusher band of vegetation because there is some water sometimes. Right. So like most of your birding in the Middle East tends to be in wadis. So I was in this wadi in the, in the middle of nowhere near the Yemeni border. And I was, I was looking for sand grouse. And then this like brand new Range Rover came driving out of nowhere. Right. And a guy pulled up. And he, you know, he looked like a sheik or something. He's wearing a big robe and he has a big beard <laughs> and he didn't speak a word of English. Right. And I knew, you know, 20 or 30 words of Arabic and right. there was some gestures and some attempts to like translate things on the phone. And, 
I think he was interested in what I was doing there. Cool. But it wasn't at all like an accusatory, like, what are you doing on my land? It was just like, what on earth is this guy doing? So is he okay? Was he the landowner or he lived local or what was he doing there? I assume he lived uh, nearby. There was actually a little uh, a little village like on the rim of the wadi and there was even a mosque there. Like when I slept there, I could hear the call to prayer from that, that mosque just in the middle, like echoing in this wadi. So I guess he lived up there. He saw me down in the wadi and he drove down. It's kind of interesting that people living in little compounds in the desert have Range Rovers in Oman. (laughs) I mean, uh, there's, I guess it's not a particularly oil rich country by the standards of the Middle East, but they have quite a bit of, of oil wealth. And I don't know how it gets distributed, but people didn't, Omanis didn't seem to be poor. Um, and, and it also seemed to be a place where most of the jobs, like working in gas stations and grocery stores, those went to foreign workers, not to Omanis. Yeah. So you're in the Wadi. You've, uh, you've used your few words of Arabic with a, with a guy with a Range Rover. Um, did, did you see any, any wildlife when you were there? In, in that wadi, yeah. Oh yeah, I found uh, I found one of the things I most wanted to see, right. which was crowned sand grouse. Uh-huh. Um, I, I have this ambition to see all the sand grouse in the world, and so that was that was probably the thing I most wanted to see. You know, did you did, were you you were trying to find that? Like you went to that place specifically to see? Yeah, that? there were some, some there were some kind of vague maybe eBird records from right. that vicinity, huh. and I kind you know you piece it together sure. and you kind of look at the topography look at the google image you know, like satellite images and so I, I figured okay these sand grouse have been seen in this vicinity they usually come to water at this time of day there must be some kind of little water holes somewhere in this wadi so i camped there and i woke up in the morning and i just walked i basically just walked miles up and down the wadi just hoping that I would like intersect sand grouse at some point. And sure enough, there was like this magic. It was like someone flipped a switch uh-huh. and all of a sudden the sky was just full of sand grouse. There were just like flocks coming from every direction. And then I, I kind of triangulated and I found the little water hole where they really? were drinking. And then I kind of snuck down into the shadows <laughs> and, and I got right next to the water hole. Right. And I mean, not, not super close. Like birds are pretty wary, you know, sure. mom, but I got, I got close and oh, it was, it was wonderful. I just, I love sand grouse. Day one, mission accomplished. Well, this wasn't day one. Day two. You were just asking me right. about interactions with yeah. locals. Okay, this was sure. a, this was a, an inter- one of my few right. interactions. Yeah, I mean, I also I think you could do a trip in Oman where you engaged a lot more with the culture and right. people and ate local food. I've I've heard the food is excellent. Certainly, what I saw in the grocery store was like this is a place with food culture where yeah. people appreciate good food. You didn't see any little eateries when you were driving around that kind of tempted you. I did, I did, but uh, you had your five kilos of, of uh, <laughs> yeah, things, exactly. so you were you were sorted. I, I in a passenger seat. I bought so much <laughs> food, like on my initial supermarket visit, that I, right. I definitely felt a little bit of uh, need to like finish that stuff. And sure, yeah. a combination of that and just often having long drives and not wanting to stop for forty five minutes sure. and language barrier of like managing to order. I mean, it's. People don't speak a lot of English in Oman once you get out in the small towns, from from what I could tell. Um, and that Lyle said the same thing. So, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd actually love to go back there with my family 
and do a camping trip just a little bit more relaxed and were there any kind of dodgy experiences any kind of military or any kind of hassle anywhere roadblocks or nothing really I'm, I'm just wrecking my brain absolutely nothing and i think that's part of what was so magical about it right you just expect when especially when you travel the way i did yeah you expect some hassles yeah like i spent a month or so in spain once kind of the same thing i just showed up and rented a car and just drove around i had absolutely no plan <laughs> And I had all kinds of hassles because I was like sleeping in my car and I had uh, police really checking me out and searching my vehicle and uh, nothing. Oman was just like no worries. Yeah, people no. are chilled. They're not, they're not suspicious or anything of what you're not doing. Not at there. all. I mean, it, it just amazed me. I mean, you're like out in the middle of the desert and you're a foreigner. You pull up in a car, you like park next to their house, their compound, and you walk around and you kind of look at their like oasis to try to find birds and nobody ever is concerned about this and i'd read this in trip reports and and i'd heard it from people too so it wasn't like i was just doing this you know without Light, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i, I, I kind of knew this was going to be okay right and, and it did turn out it was just a hundred percent fine like wow. nobody even looked gave me like a sidelong you know there's some places like like india like people are pretty tolerant but people are kind of staring at you and they sometimes give you like sidelong you know oman none of that just just really? everybody i talked to was like they were really happy i was there i don't they, they don't get a whole lot of tourists they were very yeah I, so i mean i didn't really partake in the hospitality but there were i saw hints of like a very very hospitable culture as well um, here's a question. Did you see the Omani Owl? I did not. I, I actually gave it a pretty serious try. I mean, I spent about three nights searching. This is a pretty fascinating bird that it was only discovered 10 years ago, something like that. It was, it's very recent, yeah. And it, it, what they sort of discovered is that something they thought was desert owl initially was actually a different species and and there was some confusion, was confusion. with the scientific names where the there was another there was another owl i think was it the humes tawny owl or something it's in like uh egypt sinai peninsula there and i think there was some kind of taxonomic confusion with these different owls um but yeah there is now a full endemic and then it, it that was enough to spark um some bird tour companies to start doing tours there, right? Yeah. It, but it's just a legendarily difficult owl, right. and it's hard to understand why, because its its closest relative, the desert owl, is not a particularly difficult owl to see. I mean, it lives in canyons and rocky right. slopes, and you walk around and you can spotlight it or call it in. This Omani owl, there's something strange about it, which I, I haven't quite understood. Uh, but you know, some of the best people I know with owls have been to Oman and just struggled mightily really? and nobody seems to get very good pictures of it like right. even when they've managed to see it huh. so I heard it twice which was pretty cool okay but did not lay eyes on it both times right. I heard it it was like way up up slopes and it would call like two three times and then just silence you see any other 
animals? Any mammals? Desert mammals? I saw what I believe was a Rupal's fox, which is Uh, a pretty cool Middle Eastern fox. And then I saw a lot of, I guess they're red foxes, but it's like a desert form of red fox, Uh I believe. Um, Yeah, beautiful, beautiful animals. Um, Not a lot, though. eh? There's there's a ton of hunting in Oman for bigger birds and mammals and maybe just shooting predators. I'm not sure about that, but uh, there was... I mean, one time I was in a wadi, and I, I could just hear gunshots like echoing yeah. up the wadi. I don't know what people were shooting at. And then another another night, I was at a watering hole, like up near the border with Saudi Arabia, and it, it was totally abandoned. I mean, this was the absolute middle of nowhere, right? Like I'd driven yeah. like thirty kilometers down a little dirt track to get to this, <laughs> but I, I was walking around at night, looking actually looking for mammals with with my spotlight. Yeah. And this truck pulled up, Ooh. like, well, I could see the, like, headlights in the distance. And then it, he was spotlighting. And I decided to just get out of view, because you just never know what's going yeah. on with that sort of thing. So I basically ducked into, a, <laughs> like, a palm grove. Right. And I watched him, and he, he basically circled all the way around the oasis spotlighting. And then I realized this guy's hunting. You know, he's, ah. he's just trying to spotlight some antelope and shoot it. Good job he didn't spotlight you. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> we got one. <laughs> now you know he probably would have driven up and like very politely uh, said, "Where are you from?" Yeah. Oh, that, that was that was kind of how things went to Oman. So right. like I yeah. don't think I had anything to fear, but I just right. default mode. Especially yeah. you know when it's night and you're in the middle of nowhere, sure, you just sure. err on the side of caution. But I, he was almost certainly hunting. So yeah a lot of a lot of hunting it, it's a shame i mean people do see some really cool mammals there there's there's ibex some cool smaller carnivores a few antelope but boy you you wonder you know what would it have been like a few hundred years ago is it is it all you just wandered around these different parts or did did you go into any there any national parks or reserves or anything not a lot right. of parks there, right. eh? There, there's a lot of pretty wild land. Right. It's a little bit like parts of Latin America. Um, I mean, there are, there are some sort of parks on paper, but they don't seem to have a lot of real protection. And then there's just a lot of like rugged mountains and deserts that aren't explicitly protected, but there's not a whole lot people have done to them. Huh. I'm trying to think if I went into a single, like, park with a sign that said like welcome to whatever desert park maybe in the in the south western mountains there were a couple places that were like like well vegetated wadis that were like sort of like parks like maybe a few picnic tables did you have any other problems any flat tires or anything like that the road's pretty good there or you're driving on dirt roads or how did it go yeah, the main roads are incredibly good. Right. Tarmacked and, and like two lanes, the main east-west right. highway. I mean, it's just the drive to get from eastern to western Oman is like 11 hours or something like that. Right. I mean, it's long. It's uh, it's one of these countries where it doesn't seem that big when you're looking at the whole globe, right. but when you're on the ground, it's like, it's yeah. big. <laughs> uh, beautiful highway, and you just, it is just desert. I just flat gravel desert most of it it's what they call the the empty quarter which is like this vast vast sector 
of Oman, and then most of it's in Saudi Arabia, and yeah, the name says it all. Away from the main highways, there's a lot of gravel tracks, mostly mm. pretty decent, right. although, as I mentioned, everybody seems to have some kind of large 4x4. <laughs> I guess so, you had a fairly small car. Oh yeah, I had a you. small, you know, low clearance <laughs> hire car. Yeah. So I definitely drove that hire car into some challenging places. I mean, <laughs> I went down this one wadi, like seven or eight kilometers, and that doesn't sound very far, but boy, when you're just like scraping your way over rocks on yeah. a track, that feels like it's pro- almost faster to walk it. Yeah. And uh, did, didn't damage it. Didn't uh, had no damage on the car at the end. Although I came pretty close a few times. Oh. <laughs> Now, this has reminded me, at some point, I I was looking for a place to camp. So I was looking for little side roads. And I found a little, it was in this valley that was weird. It was like quite steep. And there was one main paved road that was very good. But there were very few side tracks. And I was, get, I was getting desperate. It was like almost sunset. Like I needed a place to camp. And so I... I found this little track. I thought, ah, this is promising. I'm going to go down this track. And I sort of went down this hill. And then the road essentially like dead-ended. It was like blocked. All right, no big deal. Turn around the hire car. Head back up the hill. It's a gravel road. And it's too steep. And I cannot get up it in my car. You know, I'm gunning the thing and and scraping and crunching you know I, I tried four or five times and I realized this is not going to happen oh no but then I realized there was kind of a track that went around um, it, it had been sort of been closed with some big rocks but I, I was I rolled the rocks out of the way <laughs> and then I spent like the next hour kind of cleaning the track to to the ground was sort of flat enough and I saw there's a way to get back on the main highway so I like cleaned out this whole thing and I like walked it a few times and I planned my route like, okay, I got a tire right there and I got to go around that big rock and then put my right tire on that big rock and oof, I, I finally got back to the highway. That, that was pretty painful. I mean, if you'd have got your car stuck there, what, what would you have to, have to have done? You know, I probably you know, would have, I would have, yeah, there were actually quite yeah. a few people around. I would have had to walk to a settlement and ask for help to hand gestures uh... yeah yeah hand gestures google <laughs> translate <laughs> vroom, vroom, no vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> you know i'm sure people would have been willing to help me I'm sure. uh, one of one of the the huge suvs they would have driven down and yeah. hitched my car and, and pulled yeah. it up and yeah it probably would have been a cool experience in its own right yeah yeah wow any other cool wildlife sightings highlights I mean, desert birds in general are pretty uh, kind of desert-colored. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have a soft spot for those kind of birds, yeah. uh, like the crew birds. One of the things I most wanted to see was a gray hippocoleus. Ah, um, yes. This is a it's, it's a monotypic family, so that means it's like a bird species that by itself is is a whole family. And what there's like two hundred and thirty families of birds, right? Mm. So certainly seeing a new family is is always kind of a cool thing when you're a birder you you figure you're seeing some kind of note of diversity that's meaningful as opposed to just another species or an analog of something else so 
I really wanted to see that bird. There's one oasis way out in the western desert, again near uh, Yemen, where it occurs pretty regularly. But it, it was just from reading trip reports and stuff. It was like tenuous. I like right. I wasn't I wasn't sure I would get it. I wasn't sure I would find it, and uh, I ended up finding it pretty easily in this huh. date palm grove and. Really? That ah, was wonderful. Really cool, bird. cool it was pale gray, usual black patch on the head, and kind of like a waxwing in some ways. Yeah. Kind of silky and sleek. Um, yeah, that was that was a great bird. So, and a great place too. Just you know, absolute middle of nowhere, like tiny oasis, kind of like an abandoned date palm oasis. Wow. Just walking around in this oasis. It's one of the. Families that you really need to go out of your way to see. It's, yeah. not, one, it's not one that you just pick up along the way and, you know, with all the other ones. You've actually got to try for it. I'm, I'm missing about 20 families out of those, you know, 240 families, whatever. Um, and, yeah, one of them is a, is a hypercolius. Another um, natural experience I certainly enjoyed was the the extreme southwest. You know, I mentioned that empty quarter. yeah. So central Oman is just incredibly arid and empty. But that area is basically the biogeographic boundary between Eurasia and the Afrotropics. Hmm. So you drive across that desert and you're basically in Africa from a, a biological perspective. And down in the southwest, you have this amazing, you have this these steep mountains that are right next to the sea. And at certain times of year, they basically get heavy, heavy mist. Hmm. And it's it's heavy enough that they actually support like thick savanna-like vegetation that verges on being a sort of deciduous forest. Wow. Like a, almost like a rainforest. Like a, apparently during that season of heavy fog, everything gets covered in like moss and everything's green and... Huh. I'd love to see it at that season. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty dry when I was there. But wow, what a what an amazing habitat! Especially when you've just driven through like eight hours of gravel plains with barely a shrub growing, yeah. and then you get to this like lush forest and these canyons that are lined with like acacia trees, and there are uh, there are actually baobab trees all over the place there. Really? It, it, oh. And then you you have a pretty significant African avifauna. I would say maybe 20 species that are, are clearly African are there. And even mammals, there's like honey badgers, and I think there's caracals. And uh-huh. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Oman, I think people just imagine like desert, right? But you actually are in two continents. <laughs> it's right at the junction between two continents. Wow. So yeah, it actually has higher diversity than you might think, because on the, in the east side... It's very allied with, it's just across from Iran, and it's not far from northwestern India. So it's very Asian, everything, the mammals and the, and the birds. And in, and in the West, it's very, very African. Um, and, you know, Oman has a really interesting history, too. I mean, I'm no expert on it. I did um, listen to a bunch of podcasts, whatever, like any podcast I could find about Oman, I listened to it <laughs> during that trip. I did so much driving that I... I was looking for stuff to listen to, but, you know, there was the Sultanate of Oman that was, I guess it was much more focused on maritime power and, and like connections with Northwest India and the East coast of Africa and even all the way down to Madagascar sometimes 
than it was like dominance over the Middle East. And at one point, so their Muscat was their capital, I guess, traditionally. But at one point, the Sultan moved his capital to Zanzibar, and then that was the capital of his of his uh, Sultanate. So, so he just, you know, they they were, I guess, they were mobile. You know, they just like, well, pack everything in the ships, and we're just going to move to Zanzibar, and we're going to run our empire from there. So really unusual, and it, interestingly, like synchronistic or like a melting pot type of empire, right? Because you're right at the junction of like Eurasia, Africa, India. That's something I found very cool in Oman. Mm. It's like I saw people who I think were Omani who, who just had all kinds of different appearances, but they're all Omani and uh, they're all speaking Arabic. So I, I always appreciate places like that. So yeah, really... The, you know they don't have the, these ties anymore with like their their old empire with Zanzibar and so yeah. on. But you, you see you see the legacy of that uh, that history. Wow, that sounds very cool. I um, I you've mentioned to me before this thing of just having a total freedom to just drive around and just camp anywhere you want, and that for me is is kind of like a, a utopia. Yeah, that's um, that's what I. That's the kind of place I love to go. <laughs> so, I, I think more than anything, that's what made me want to go there. Right. Actually, yeah. that and the combination of desert. I think my buddy um, Tarek as well that we had on the podcast. I think he's been there. And he came, he was raving about it too. It'd be a great place to go with your family. You know, it's uh, huh. yeah, pretty so relaxed, and I think it'd be quite fun to do more city stuff and sure. markets, yeah. souks, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful uh, coastline as well. I mean, I haven't talked yeah. about that much, but wow, it's really got vast, rugged, beautiful coastline. Um, when you think of the Middle East, you know, people often think of just like sand, but most of the coastline in Oman is rugged cliffs, and there's it's actually really rich. You know, the Indian Ocean is pretty poor in general, but that area, for reasons I don't understand, which probably some listener does, feel free to write us, <laughs> Is quite rich because you've got the Socotra cormorant uh-huh. and you've got boobies around and there's a couple tube noses that you can see, uh, Joannin's petrol and wow. just um, from the coast. Yeah, really? and then you can. Some people do little little uh, pelagic trips on fishing boats to see uh-huh. a couple of these. There, there's a, a couple harder seabirds, but yeah, oh, large numbers of uh, I guess sooty gulls. Beautiful, beautiful mm. gull. It's a nice one. Yeah, I really enjoyed the marine stuff too. And just like empty beaches, you know, just abandoned beaches and, and rugged uh, headlands. and Yeah, just a lot going on. Like even if you had no interest in birds or wildlife, like just about anybody would enjoy Oman. It, it, it strikes me as a place that's so like off the map in terms of global yeah. tourism. And it, it's so good. So I, I just yeah. hope it doesn't get kind of ruined by like yeah. huge chain hotels and sure. like all the people become kind of unfriendly. <laughs> it definitely does happen. Oh man, it's on my list now of places to go. Sounds very cool. Yeah, one place that I really enjoyed in Oman that I would definitely recommend is one of these oases in the middle of nowhere in the sort of the edge of the empty quarter. Um, there's It's an oasis that has the obligatory like date palm grove but it also has some natural vegetation and then it has a hot springs 
No way. And and I guess at some point in the past, people have built a tank, and so it's just like a stone tank, and it's about six feet deep, and the water is you know hot, but not not uncomfortably hot, like just perfectly hot. It's heated from geothermal activity yep. or natural wow. hot springs, and so this is an oasis where. It, you know, I drove 40 kilometers down a, a gravel track to get there, and I was the only person. And I camped on a on a dune, on a sand dune, and then the, <laughs> I, I walked over and I found this hot hot pool, and I was like, I think I'm going in. <laughs> you know, I wasn't having a lot of showers or anything right. because I was just camping all the time. And yeah. It wasn't very hot while I was there, so it wasn't like sweating, but I was like, wow, this is... It's going to be awesome, a hot bath. <laughs> so that was one of the indelible memories of Oman for me. Wow. It's just like naked in a hot spring, <laughs> in an oasis in the middle of the desert in Oman, just looking up at the at the sky and the galaxies. Like, wow, yeah, it was awesome, really amazing, and, and you know, just so free. It's like yeah. there was nobody there. I hadn't paid an entrance fee. I didn't have a permit i wasn't uh yeah yeah i mean you can do things like hot springs and stuff but in so much of the world it's like something where you gotta you gotta pay or make an appointment or bookings and yeah. yeah it was just oh, it was awesome wow yeah that's definitely uh sounds like a great place to visit I especially want to see the hypercolias. <laughs> I want to finish the, yeah. And also, I do like sangrouses as well. But uh, I just love the, I just love the, uh, the idea of just having total freedom to drive around and camp wherever you want. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty economical as well. Yeah. Uh, I guess it, you could probably stay in super fancy hotels and make it expensive, but uh-huh. cheap hire car, fuel's incredibly cheap. Is it really? Food's cheap, and. Those are pretty much your only expenses. You know, that's, wow. you can do, yeah. You know, you know, getting there, the flights to get there, uh, even when I went, this was actually just before the pandemic. And I actually got sick while I was there. Like, right. I got pretty sick for a uh-huh. few days. <laughs> Looking back, I was wondering. Too many things. <laughs> Fig poisoning. Classic case. You know what? I think I've got an Oman eBird list. I once got a really cheap flight to Thailand from South Africa and it was via Oman and we had like maybe three hours there and I was looking out the window trying to get a bird. It might be a rock pigeon or something like that. Common miner. Common miner, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, nah, I definitely need to get there. I think an appropriate natural sound to play out with would be a crowned sand grouse. Sand grouse have these kind of understated, bubbly vocalizations i often find that they kind of trickle their way into my consciousness like i i hear them but then there's some part of the back of my brain that is registering wait that's a sand grouse they, they don't hit you over the head distant, they start yeah they kind of get louder and louder so you kind of pick them exactly up. you're like you're at a watering hole and you hear something and you, you almost you yeah and then it gets closer and closer <laughs> oh, sand grouse so uh yeah crown sand grouse thanks as always for listening thanks to our patrons uh Catch you next week.